This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Over recent months, time and again, we have encountered Jesus in the pages of Luke's Gospel. And Luke wants us to uh, not just read his gospel as a history account, but he wants us to encounter Jesus. And as we will find out this morning, he wants us thank you, to encounter the risen Jesus through the pages of what he wrote. So it has been a bit of a mammoth journey which may be reflected why one or two people are like, yes, we've made it to the end. We have got to the finish line. We have reached chapter 24. Hallelujah. But whilst the series might be coming to an end, and whilst our study in Luke's Gospel may be coming to a conclusion, Luke would want us to keep on encountering Jesus. He wouldn't want us to stop doing that. But that would be right at the top of his agenda, wanting us to keep going in meeting Jesus. I understand uh, Dave Perry did a great job last Sunday uh, looking at the crucifixion and uh, it's my job this morning to look at the resurrection. So we'll be in Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn, scroll or click to Luke chapter 24 and uh, we'll read some scripture together in a moment. But why don't we pray first and ask God to be with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that we have encountered you as we have worshipped this morning. We thank you that you are here by your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray now, would we encounter you afresh in the pages of your word? Would you speak to us? Would your word come alive to us? Lord, even if we are reading familiar passages, speak to us again by your spirit. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking this morning at the resurrection and we'll look at some scripture together in a moment. But sometimes people ask the question, what is it that's at the very centre of the Christian faith? Is it the cross or is it the resurrection? Is it the cross or is it the resurrection that's at the heart of our Christian faith? And the answer to that question is yes. It's both. It's both the cross and the resurrection, which is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Because for us, you can't have one without the other. If we had one without the other, our Christian faith would be incomplete. It wouldn't be what we have. You see, there were plenty of people that were crucified in Jesus' time. That wasn't unusual. The Romans are pretty good at that. They did a good job of that. And uh, that would not have been an unusual sight to see people die in that way. But if our faith stops at the cross and doesn't move to the resurrection, then there's no hope for us. There's been much discussion over the last few years as to whether in, uh, in Christendom and in Christian study, we've neglected the resurrection. Whether we've focused on the cross and almost forgotten about the resurrection. 
And if that accusation is true, I'm not saying if it is or isn't, then that's crazy. Because the two go together. You've got to have both. If we just stopped our series in Luke with last week looking at the cross, whilst, yes, that's central to our faith, it would be incomplete without spending time looking, as we will this morning, at the resurrection. The two go together. And often, when the Bible writers talk about one, the implication is that they're including the other as well. So Adrian Warnock, in his excellent book, Raised with Christ, How the Resurrection Changes Everything, you know by the title, don't you, where he's going with it, (laughs) he says this. He says, The biblical language surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus is therefore easily misunderstood by today's reductionist approach to understanding language. We can agree that when the Bible writers spoke of either Jesus' death or his resurrection, they were often using one of these events as shorthand for both of them. An inadequate understanding of this point may very well have contributed to our neglect of the resurrection. So is it the cross or the resurrection that saves you? What is it? It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that saves you. It's that that's at the very heart of our Christian faith. And so with that background, we're going to look at now at Luke chapter 24. Now, we don't have the time this morning to go through everything verse by verse. But we're going to look at some chunks and say, and ask the Lord what he's speaking to us, what he's asking us to see afresh this morning from his word. So let's read some verses together. Let's read the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look here for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. It's fantastic Luke's account, isn't it, of what happens on that morning. So there were some women who had followed Jesus from Galilee. And they wanted to carry out the anointing of Jesus' body as the custom dictated. The previous day had been the Sabbath, so they weren't able to do it then. So they waited until the day after, what the Bible describes as now the third day, to come and anoint Jesus' body with what they had prepared. So let's be clear. They expected to find a dead Jesus. That's why they were there, to anoint the dead body of their Lord, who they had followed 
with the spices as was their custom. They didn't expect to find a risen Jesus. They were looking for a dead one. And it seems they hadn't really thought through the plan completely because how would they have moved the stone? How would they have got past the guards that had been placed there? But as it is, they arrive and these questions now don't matter anymore. Because the body of Jesus isn't there. The stone has been rolled away. Jesus isn't there. So they don't find a dead Jesus. They find what other gospel writers call angels. And one of them speaks, which is perhaps one of the most amazing lines in Scripture, and says this, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Hallelujah. If you were Pentecostals, you'd be jumping up and down at that point, shouting hallelujah and glory and other such things. And rightly so, because that line changes everything. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Hallelujah. Everything has now changed. Everything has changed for them. And friends, if we understand the truth of what we're reading, everything has changed for us. Thank you. Absolutely everything. Now, I know we face trials. I know life can be difficult. I know life is sometimes painful. We all experience that to one degree or another. Maybe you're even experiencing that today. Maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Even in those moments, dear friends, this line changes everything. This truth changes everything. He's not dead. He's alive. And so the women go back to tell the others. But perhaps, perhaps unsurprisingly, they're not believed. <laughs> Luke tells us that their words seem like them to nonsense. And you can guess that that's the summary of the discussion. <laughs> it's nonsense. What are you talking about? What do you mean he's raised from the dead? He was dead. We saw him crucified. We, we saw it with our own eyes. What do you mean he's not, not there? What do you mean he's raised? It just seemed like nonsense to them. And so Peter heads off, runs to the tomb, and he sees for himself that Jesus isn't there sees the strips of linen lying by themselves and he goes away, we're told, wondering what has happened. Wondering what has happened. Maybe you're in that wondering camp this morning. Maybe you're looking in, wondering what has happened. Maybe you're observing something. Maybe you've perhaps come with a friend. Maybe you're looking in at the Christian faith and thinking, does it make sense? Can I, can I understand this? Can I believe this? Can I really put my hope in this? Maybe you're wondering, like Peter did at this moment. Well, Peter didn't carry on wondering for very long. And maybe this morning you can have some answers to your questions too. Luke then cuts to an account of, uh, of a couple uh, of people who are heading out to Emmaus, a village about seven miles away from Jerusalem. We're not going to read it all now, but you can read it there. It's in verses uh, 13 to 35. And uh, Luke gives this account because as they're walking and discussing among themselves what has happened, somebody comes up to them and starts walking with them and starts talking to them 
asking what they're discussing. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked them, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened here? And this other person says to them, what things? Tell me, tell me what this is. And they proceed to tell him about this Jesus of Nazareth, who they'd seen crucified, but they'd put their hope in him. And how the story was now going round that um, early in the morning when the women went to his tomb, the body wasn't there. And how they'd seen angels who told that he was alive. And they're having this discussion amongst themselves. And then this other person who we later discover is Jesus himself says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't that have been a good Bible study? So Jesus, just taking the Old Testament scriptures, it seems worked his way through them and explained to these two what had been said about himself. That would have been a fantastic study to be in on. Do you notice he doesn't just say, hey guys, it's me, surprise. He doesn't do that. He could have done. He could have just said, I am alive. But he doesn't. He takes them to scripture and he shows them through what was written in the Old Testament how they can have confidence in what was said about Jesus. And just as he showed that to them, Jesus would want us too to have confidence in what this book says. That we can work our way through and say, oh yeah, I can see how that's talking about Jesus, who for the Old Testament writers was to come. And now for us, we look back and we see the reflection of the New Testament writers as well. I mean, think about it. If Jesus can use just the Old Testament to explain it about himself, how much more have we got with the New Testament writings as well? It's wonderful, isn't it? And so they go and um, they go and uh, they eat together. They persuade Jesus so they don't yet realise it's him to stay with them and eat with them. And it's in these moments that they suddenly see it. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And he disappeared from their sight. Just as they saw who it was. And then Jesus goes. And they say to each other, weren't our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? You can see them thinking, oh, why don't we realise? Why don't we see that it was Jesus himself? And so they get up and return at once to Jerusalem. And by this point, they find that Jesus has appeared to Simon Peter as well. And the eleven and those assembled with them are saying, it's true. And they realise that what they've just seen for their own eyes, the others have begun to see as well, that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead. I mean, imagine if there had been Twitter and Facebook then. It would have gone Mad, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the online chatter at this point? We've seen the Lord. No, we've seen him too. He appeared to us. You know what? I've seen him as well. He appeared to us. 
And so suddenly they realised that what Jesus had spoken about, what the women had said, actually was indeed true. And so now Jesus appears to the gathered group. Let's pick up the, the, the passage again in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, excitedly, one would presume, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I think it's interesting that Jesus said that to start with. They must have been scared at this point. They must have been frightened, wondering what's going on. The reason Jesus said peace to them is they needed to know God's peace. It wasn't just a, hi, how are you doing? He was imparting something to them. He wanted them to receive his peace. And he wanted to be able to speak with them and teach them. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is why I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's talking there of the Holy Spirit. Going to be sent to them and empower them. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Isn't it a great account? Wonderful as Jesus appears to them. And on this occasion he eats with them. This is no ghostly apparition. This is not just some spirit thing that they're thinking about. This is Jesus in his resurrection body appearing to those who have loved him. And followed him. Clearly, it's similar to his earthly body. You know, it looks like him. He can eat these sort of things, but it, it's different as well. He can appear and disappear at will. It seems he can uh, appear not worrying about locked doors and walls that may get in the way of you and I. And we see as we read through Scripture, there are a number of resurrection appearances of Jesus. And the reason there are a number that are recorded for us is that we might have confidence in what has been written. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, that means it's most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, while he died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, 
as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus does not want to leave us in any doubt as to the truth and the accuracy and the historical reality of the resurrection. This is not a fantasy story. This is the truth of what had been prophesied for years, what Jesus had spoken of himself, and we have recorded for us in Scripture. This is the resurrection of Jesus. And remember, it's a resurrection that changes everything. Everything now changes for us. So we need to be very sure that this happened. We need to understand it to be true. People sometimes say, did it really happen? Can it really be true? People sometimes come up with alternative theories. Well, was it, was it like this or like that? Sometimes, say, well, sometimes people say, well, Jesus didn't really die. Well, if the Romans were good at one thing, <laughs> it, was, it was killing people and doing it very effectively. They would have ensured that Jesus had died. The argument suggests that Jesus didn't really die. He somehow revived himself, removed the bandages, pushed the very heavy stone alone, somehow got rid of the guards, uh, walked miles with these fairly severe wounds and appeared to people over a period of 40 days before disappearing. But bear in mind, Jesus had been very heavily beaten. He had been flogged before he was crucified. People often died from that experience alone. That had happened to him. Then he had carried his cross to the point when he was unable to carry it any further. Then he was crucified. And then he had a spear stuck into his side. So soldiers knew when someone was dead. It was their job to ensure it. They would not have missed this. They would not have got it wrong. Pilate must have been convinced to give Joseph permission to take the body. And remember, we're told in Scripture, when the spear went into Jesus' side, there was a flow of blood and water. It shows that he had died. They wouldn't have necessarily understood what the blood and water meant when it was mixed together, but it was demonstrating that he wasn't alive anymore. Jesus very certainly died on that cross. Sometimes people say, well, was it the wrong tomb? Did the women get it wrong? Did they just go to the wrong tomb, mis- mis- misunderstand directions, just get, take a wrong turn on the way? Maybe it was the one next door. Did they, did they somehow miss it? All evidence that is recorded suggests otherwise, that they had exactly the right tomb. Both Marys were there after his death. They knew where Jesus, his body had been taken. And Peter and John also went and found the empty tomb. And think about it, if they had gone to the empty tomb, those who wanted to disprove Jesus' resurrection could have just gone to the right tomb, opened it up and gone, there he is, still dead. End of story. That never happened. They certainly had the right tomb. Sometimes people suggest that maybe Jesus' body was stolen. Well, if you think that, you have to ask who stole it and why? A good police investigation might be there needs to be a motive. You know, why would they steal Jesus' body? Who would do that? Or was it his disciples? 
Well, the soldiers couldn't explain the empty tomb. The disciples wouldn't have been able to overcome the guards. They didn't expect resurrection. They weren't looking for resurrection. They were frightened and hidden away. And bear in mind, the soldiers were paid off and told to lie and say that the disciples had stolen the body. But the disciples were scared of confrontation. And if the guards had been asleep, how would they have known the disciples would have stolen it? Sleeping on guard was punishable by death. That would have not been something they would have done. Certainly not for this high-profile figure of Jesus of Nazareth. Was it the authorities that perhaps stole Jesus' body? Well, think about it. There's no motive there because they wanted to put an end to the stories of resurrection. So they, again, if it had been them, they could have just produced the body and said, hey, it's here, look. That never happened. And it certainly wouldn't have been grave robbers that stole the body. The one thing, they left, one thing that was left behind was the one thing of value, the grave clothes. So it wasn't grave robbers either. And anyway, the guards would have seen them. People sometimes suggest that maybe people were hallucinating. Maybe they didn't see Jesus really, they just saw an apparition. They just imagined that they saw Jesus. Well, not everybody hallucinates. Some people do and and see things. Often it's those who are quite highly strung, imaginative. It wouldn't have been disciples who are not expecting resurrection. It's not that they were looking for this. It's not that they were imagining this was going to happen. They were clearly not in a state expecting this. And Jesus, we're told, appeared to many after his resurrection. It wasn't just one or two. Remember, Paul told us on one occasion there's over 500 people that saw him at one point in time. This was no hallucination. And anyway, what about him eating and about them touching him? <laughs> this was not just a figment of their imagination. This is the risen Jesus. So what we're left with is, wow, Maybe, I would say, definitely, the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And if we believe that, then that changes everything. You might say, so what? What does it really mean if we do believe that the resurrection of Jesus did really happen? What does that mean for us? Canon Michael Green says this. He says, Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Absolutely pivotal. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But, but, if the resurrection of Jesus really did happen, then we're told this, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Everything's changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 55 if you're taking notes. The resurrection gives us hope for the future and power for the now. This is not just about something that is going to happen in the future. This is not just an event we look back to. This has effect in our lives today, now, right now, in this city, in these chairs, right in this moment, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You see, the resurrection of Jesus means 
that if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've believed and repented and made him Lord of your life, you can know forgiveness of your sin, that which has come between you and God, that which has marred the relationship between you and God. And it means you can look forward to being given a resurrection body yourself and living with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 talks about that. I wonder if you ever imagine what heaven might be like. One thing it definitely won't be like is you being some disembodied spirit sitting around on a cloud with a harp singing love songs to Jesus. The Bible talks about there being a resurrection body. It talks about there being a new heaven, a new earth. Yes, we'll be worshipping the Lord. Undoubtedly, we'll see him face to face. There'll be no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears. Isn't it wonderful? But you'll have a resurrection body, like Jesus had a resurrection body. But as well as that, it means it's not just a future thing. The resurrection of Jesus gives you power to live now, today, in this moment. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Listen to this. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. That power is the same as his mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. Would you agree that is quite a lot of power? No matter how you might measure it, I've had an electricity bill this week and they have measured our electricity consumption and told me how much we have spent. That is before the lights went on our Christmas tree. Goodness knows what it will be at the end of December. They have measured it. They have taken account of it. This power, Paul says, is the same as his mighty power by which he raised Christ from the dead. It's that power that is available to you who believe. You cannot measure that on any meter, on any bill. It is beyond comparison, beyond measurement. Because it's God's mighty power available to you who believe. It's the same. It's the same power. It's resurrection power. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to you. And that's what he gives to you in order to live a life that might be faithful to him. So it's not that Jesus says, yeah, follow me and uh, just try your best if you can. <laughs> follow me and just, you know, try harder. No, no, Jesus calls us to follow him and says, here, have the power to do it. Have the power to do it. So this series might be coming to an end today. But we need to keep on encountering Jesus in the pages of this book and daily, moment by moment, in his spirit. Luke wants us to encounter Jesus, not just as we read, but in life itself. Every moment being filled with his presence. Every moment being led by the spirit. Every moment knowing that incomparably great power 
at work in our lives. Luke's Gospel is not a dry history book. It's designed to lead us to Christ and to encounter him. And Luke wrote it so that you might believe. So that you might have an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, in order that you might believe. Reading it should lead you to him. And so even this morning, as we bring this series to a close, you can come to know Jesus. As Adam reminded us earlier, as we enter this Christmas season, this season of Advent, this season of looking forward to the birth of Jesus, we can be reminded that we can encounter him. We can know him. We can have a relationship with him. And friends, if you've known and loved Jesus for many years, if you've walked with him through the ups and downs of life, if you're thinking, yeah, I've, I've known that for a long time, then for you too, Jesus would want to encounter you afresh. Not just in the pages of Luke's Gospel, but through his Spirit, even today. That you might have a fresh encounter with him, that you might know him as your Lord and Saviour once again. He wants you to know the reality and the power of his resurrection in your life today. Can we stand together? If a band can come back up, please. That will be good. Jesus wants you to know the reality and the power of his resurrection. Not just as a certain destiny. There is a certain destiny new heaven and new earth a certain destiny of being with Jesus but it's not just then he wants you to know it as a current reality and as we finish our time together this morning we're going to sing and worship Jesus in, in a moment let's sing Amazing Grace that would be, be great if we can do that, like that. Um, I, might, I might do that Jesus would want us to encounter him now. Want us to experience his presence once again. Not just as we read his book, but as we meet him through the power of his spirit. Let's pray and we're going to worship the Lord as we we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for the certainty of it. We thank you for the historical accuracy of it. We thank you that we can believe, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your Gospels. We thank you for accounts that we can read. We thank you that you witness it in our hearts. And Lord, thank you that we can experience the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, that we can say we know and love, serve and follow a risen Saviour. We thank you, Lord, that we know you. We thank you for your presence at work in our lives and we thank you for your incomparably great power which is at work in us and through us. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to pray this morning that as we uh, move towards Christmas this year, that, Lord, we would encounter you afresh, that we would know you once again, that you would speak to our hearts, that your word would come alive to us. And, Lord Jesus, we would meet you again. Lord God, be glorified in every area of our lives. Draw us close to you.
nor through the ups and downs of life, the challenges that we face, the, the trials that are before us, the difficulties, the good times, the rejoicing times. Lord, in, in every time and season, in every circumstance, would we know your resurrection power at work in our lives. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.